Welcome to the Trading School Podcast. Trading made so simple, it will change the way you approach the markets. Now your host, Jonathan Rose. So welcome everybody. This is Jonathan Rose. This is podcast number eight and super excited about this one today because I have a good friend who I'm actually a client of his. So I brought Ross Mighton in today. Ross, say hello. Hi, everyone. So Ross is actually uh, my financial advisor. I've been working with Ross for probably about seven or eight years, but I've known Ross for 15 years. So I thought it would be really cool to bring Ross in to talk about not only trading because he does have a trading background, but to talk about kind of the difference between at-risk capital and more investing. Because from what I found, I think people kind of commingle those two a little too much. And Ross has really helped me as far as really separating the investing style from trading. So um, Ross, why don't we kick it off right away? Just to start with a question. I always hear kind of money managers, financial advisors, stockbrokers, What's the difference? Are they all the same? Are they synonymous? Or, or, or what's, what's the big difference between those three? That's a great question. And first, thanks, Jonathan, for inviting me in today. I know you're a, a thought leader in the trading community, and it's, it's evident why people do business with you. So thanks for inviting me in. Thanks for coming. Yeah, there's, uh, there's really big differences between a stockbroker, a money manager, and a financial advisor. So a stockbroker is someone who would recommend buys or sells of specific securities, maybe calling their clients often to recommend a specific trade. And there's certainly a place for that. A money manager would be a person who manages a fund. And once the rules are set out, whether it's a large cap fund or a small cap fund or international or domestic, Once they understand the rules of what they're managing and how they're supposed to do it, their job is to maximize return. They typically don't know their clients as a money manager, so a person who manages a mutual fund or an ETF. So there's no personalized service at that point. A financial advisor is someone who takes an understanding of what their client's objectives are where they're trying to go, and builds a plan for them that is specific and tailored for that client situation. For example, someone will come to me and have typically a variety of things they've done in the past. They've worked with a stockbroker. They've worked with a money manager. They've bought things over the years from different people, and they need someone to help them put their arms around everything, organize it, and get them motivated to move in the right direction. And that's what I help them do. So when I first started working with you, and I've known Ross from the trading days, what what, what did you trade? So I traded 10-year futures only for a short bit of time. I I would love to come on in the air and tell you I was as successful as Jonathan, but (laughs) nothing could be further from the truth. what I found is it really didn't fit my personality. Um, you have to have a trader's mentality yeah. to be very uh, clear and concise 
on which way the market's going and be able to take action. And what I realized is that I wanted to work more with people on a long-term basis. So that trading background gave me the love of the markets and the interest in the markets. And it was pivoting to how I could help people and help their families while still being involved in those markets. Right. Well, I think it's just so important to whatever you're going to do for a living. It's got to be part of your DNA. You have to, you have to love it. So that's a, that's a big difference between, you know, trading and and being a financial advisor. There's something at, at least from the traders that I've met and I'll put myself in that same kind of classification. Traders can be a little bit weird. And they're a little bit weird because they literally spend their day staring at the screen and you're never, you don't do anything. You really, after doing it for a long time, it's just like, it's like Groundhog Day. Every day, your objective is just to take money off the screen, but you're not really helping anyone. So that's actually something that was missing from my life before I started Active Day Trader. And one of the big benefits for me is I finally get to talk with people. I've spent my whole career not communicating with anybody. And I've always kind of liked that. But now as I've gotten older and not in the pits and, and don't have my sleeves rolled up and, and churning an account 2,000 trades per day, I enjoy that actually working with people. So I, I understand the kind of the difference between the two. Um, when I started working with Ross, it was like seven or eight years ago. And, you know, for me, I'm pretty confident in my ability to trade and, and to understand the market. But my long-term investing, I just wasn't doing doing good. I was nervous about it. I was always feeling like I didn't have the right plan. And I reached out to Ross and I remember we were, we were playing golf and I'm like, you know what? I, I really don't want to do this on my own. I don't want to just have that online trading account where I'm trading, where I'm investing my own account. I really wanted to separate it. And what's been great about working with you is <laughs> Ross you just know everything about my family now. You know, you know my kids' ages, when they're going to school, and, and we're preparing for that, preparing for retirement. And I just feel like I'm now in your hands rather than me worrying about it and trying to figure it out on my own. Yeah, certainly preparation is huge. Uh, taking that long-term perspective is, is a key. I mean, most of the people I work with, they're intelligent, they're responsible, they're successful people who are very good at what they do, but managing their long-term investing and long-term finances may not be the thing that they want to spend their, their time on. Clearly, you know, you're an extremely intelligent person and can do some of this stuff on your own, but taking the emotion out of it and having that arm's length between your long-term capital and you can be helpful. I mean, I experienced it in 2008 and 2009 with clients over and over who called me nervous, uh, not sure what to do, wanted to sell, wanted to get out. And I look at them as my, as I'm their financial best man. So just like a best man at a wedding constantly reminds the groom of why you're getting married. Here's why she's so wonderful. Let's let's be on our best behavior. I'm their financial best man. I'm reminding them why are they saving? You know, what's important to them? Who's important to them? And 
Try to help them not commit financial suicide, right. for lack of a better word, right? Try to not them, try to have them uh, remember those long-term perspectives. Well, I, I never really understood the benefit of having somebody who I could trust managing my, my investments. And again, I always thought, hey, I'm in the business. I don't really need that. But once I got over that and then started realizing, and, and Ross even said, because I, I remember telling you, well, what if I want to do a trade? I don't want to pay the commissions of a brokerage house. And it, that's not the point. The point is that we go out for dinner once a quarter or you come over once a quarter and we're talking about how much is set aside in my child's, you know, what's that, 1059 beep? 529. 529 yeah, beep sure. land. So I know that, you know what, I'm being smart. I'm, I'm putting stuff, stuff aside. I'm preparing for an event that I know is going to happen down the road, it's not about, you know, making a trade and worrying about commissions. So I just needed a different perspective of looking at it. And now I look back and the last thing that I want to do is manage any of my longer term investments, because I know that's in good hands. And that's just been a real game changer for me. So, you know, why don't we take a segue from that and talk about what's your kind of just typical client like, and how are you trying you know, what would be the big difference between, you know, right now I'm, I'm 42. Uh, I have two kids. The big difference between like a, working with someone who's 42 versus working with someone who, who's, who's 60 and, you know, just their expectations and, and what they're really looking to accomplish with you. Yeah, great. Thanks for asking. So there are big differences between a person who's in their 40s and has kids and is saving for college and retirement looks like it's on the horizon, but gosh, I just can't get perspective on when that's going to be, how long that's going to be. Uh, and the priorities change. So typically someone in their 40s who has kids is saving for college. And I look at those differences as you can always borrow for college. You certainly can't borrow for retirement. So let's make sure you're paying yourself first, just like the richest man in Babylon and that that book that says, you know, pay yourself first, save for yourself. And then you can save for your children and for other items later. So there's huge differences starting early in life, starting in your 40s versus your 50s versus your 60s. So just a quick example, if you wanted to have a million dollars at 65 years old and you started at 25, just assume a 6% rate of return, you have to invest $500 a month. Okay, wait, wait. So 25 years old, if I go $500 per month, I get a million bucks by the time I'm 65? At a 6% rate of return, absolutely. At 35 years old, that number is $1,000 a month. At 45, it's over $2,000 a month. And at 55, it's over $6,000 a month. Those are huge differences. So the effect of starting early, getting on a plan, getting the correct asset allocation for your time horizon and your risk tolerance is hugely important. Einstein said it, the most powerful thing in the world is compound interest. Oh. And Compounding that over time is uh, what, what makes things work later on in life. So for people in their 60s, yeah, they're getting closer to retirement. They're wondering, 
which bucket should I take from first? What are my taxes going to be? Tell me about my long-term healthcare costs. Uh, what about longevity? How should I hedge for longevity in my portfolio? So those sort of mortality issues and morbidity issues start creeping up. You have your kids probably through college, or maybe they're at the tail end if you're like me who had kids later in life. Um, perhaps you're still caring for your parents and priorities change, but maintaining that discipline of continually investing and monitoring, monitoring your portfolio is uh, the number one key in, in being successful. Okay, so, so, so taking, taking all that right now, Markets taking out its highs every single single day. Every day. Right. So if we have an outlook in 20 or 30 years, and you know, who knows whether it's gonna we're gonna get that six percent, you know, compound rate of return, what would be the approach? Would it be looking to to ladder in if the market goes down so you continue to buy more? Or hey, 20 years, 30 years, the world is growing, it's a beautiful place. Just get in there and don't worry so much about entry points. Well, uh, it depends upon your time horizon, but that's a great question. So if it's fresh capital, let's say you sold a business, you had a divorce settlement, you had a legal settlement, an inheritance, and it's all cash, I would certainly recommend legging into the market because we don't know if the markets are going to continue to go straight up as they have for the last nine years. Everyone forgets that we actually have drops in the market and those that volatility does happen. Volatility goes up and down and it's a good thing. But yeah, that long-term horizon, it can iron out a lot of the issues on your entry points. But we know from our mathematical-based stewardship of capital that your long-term return is really highly dependent upon where you buy. So... If you want a better long-term return, you're better on buying lower, obviously. So I would, I would certainly leg in if it was fresh capital. If someone's coming to me and saying, I don't want to manage my IRA anymore. I'm scared. I'm not sure what to do. Is this market going to drop? Is it going to continue to go up? We'll usually invest that capital immediately because it's already been invested. We'll probably change the parameters. We'll change the Stock to bond mix will change the large to small, domestic, emerging markets, international. We'll change those mixes to get our right risk to reward uh, naturalization. But uh, we're usually investing that money immediately. Here's a question for you. So what do you see as the biggest mistakes? And let's use you know, people our age, 40, 45 what are the biggest mistakes that, that, that guys our age make when they're you know, thinking about long-term investing? I always think of long-term investing and you know, I, I think of me kind of like up in the middle of the game, looking left, right, jumping up and down. And then I picture Ross just sitting there in a lazy boy, just kind of has his cigar and just watching me like, wow, I wish I could be that patient. That looks so nice. <laughs> it, looks, it looks so comfortable from your side. Right. Uh, I wish I could tell you it was always comfortable. Look, I, I, I ex you know, experience stress just like anybody else. And when the markets aren't going our way, I experience stress, but not because of what's going on 
for the world, but I don't like my clients losing money at any point in time. Um, so the different kind of tra- stress that I've never really <laughs> felt until I started active day trading because I've never traded clients' money. But but now because I share so much information, I it it almost feels and does sometimes. And sorry to cut you off. When I see clients getting hurt by ideas that I share, man, I, I just I feel terrible. And usually I feel terrible because I know I have the ability to to work out of it or to hedge it. We used to always say when I was trading, it would be like one of those balloon animals that you, you do it and like, oh, it's a dog. And then the next guy is like, look, I made that dog and now it's a giraffe. So I know I can do that with managing a position, but oftentimes when the market gets a little tricky, it's tough for people who jumped in the market a little too soon before they really were aware of how to manage their position to then manage that trade. So I get what you're saying that having other people lose can, can really, it's a different kind of feeling than just your own account. Yeah. So the biggest mistakes that people make are, are really behavior management issues. So I look at my number one job as being a behavior management coach. What, what, do, you mean, say, what do you mean by that? That may sound very strange from coming from a financial advisor, but every day I'm dealing with clients who are excited, depressed, uh, looking forward to something, looking back on something, and I need to help them stay consistent with their goals and objectives and continue to stay invested in our long-term plan. So Dalbar is a, a large company that have done these studies on investors and investment results over the years. Dalbar, D-A-L-B-A-R. So, and, and, is, and is, that, is that a free service or, or is that a premium service? You know, I'm not sure if it's a service as much as it is a research company that produces research reports. And they've studied investors over long periods of time. So the 20-year period between 1996 and 2016, the S&P returned 7.68% per year. What do you think the average equity investor returned on their portfolio? Between 96 and 2016? Yeah. Mm. 4.7. 4.7. I can't believe you get it right on the mark. 4.8, 4.79% to be exact. And what's the difference? What's the difference? The difference in that 2% is someone saying, ah, oh, gosh, this isn't right. Ross, sell my small caps right now. And look, as much as I can argue with them, they're the boss and they're going to say, you sell it right now or I'm closing this account and I have to either stand up to them and say, fine, close your account and move or, okay, let's lighten up a little bit. But what I often see is that's not what happens. What happens is is they've done it on their own at Vanguard or Schwab or any of those other big firms where they're doing it on their own and they come to me and I look at their long-term results and their results are 2% less than what the market would bear because of those uh, because of those issues where they've uh, taken steps that they shouldn't have taken. They bought or sold things at exactly the wrong time, purely based on emotion, not about being a mathematical steward of wealth. Well, and and you've helped me with this mostly of really separating 
at-risk capital from investing. And so when I listen to this conversation, I really would never call you thinking that the market's going to go lower. Let's cover our long-term investments because when we sit down, we made a plan. And the plan was, this is what we're going to do for this many years. If the market pulls back, we're able to buy because we're going to sit with some in cash. To, so, so we have that extra firepower. But it seems like, and I see this as well from the trading side, you can say whatever you want. You could have whatever kind of rules you want. You could write it down, whatever you need to do. But it comes down to having discipline and sticking with your plan. So I'm sure you've talked with those people about having a long-term plan. And ideally, you should be calling and checking up on them, and you know, kind of be it, just talking about the kids and life and whatnot. But when you start trying to micromanage the market, then you're going away from the plan. And now you are almost commingling that at-risk capital from that investing. And that's, that's, that's on, it's, it's tough scary. to say. Yeah. It's on them too. They, they're, we had a plan. Have a plan, stick to the plan. If we're going to have a plan and you're not going to stick to the plan, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure I can help you there. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to uh, what I said before about the differences between a wealth manager or financial planner and a broker or money manager. You know, a, a, bro, a money manager, you know, can constantly make trades all day long. They're sitting in front of a screen and they're managing small positions all day long. You know, I'm playing golf with you or we're having dinner. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to replicate those sort of fast term moves uh, being a financial advisor, nor do I want to be. Look, I separate my risk capital from long-term capital. I have a small trading account and I listen to Jonathan's podcast every night. And sometimes I follow it. Sometimes I don't. I'm kicking myself about, you know, Overstock and Sarepta and the, some of the recent ones, which I wish I would have executed on, but I didn't. But again, that's short-term risk capital. Um, my family's not going to suffer if I lose that money. It's a different game. Nor are they going to be winners if they make their money, if I make money on them. I mean, they're not... It's not going to change my lifestyle one bit. It will certainly enhance it. Will I be able to go on more vacations? Uh, perhaps uh, buy my wife a nicer car? Absolutely. Those are money-making ideas. But my hope is that people take away from this is that risk capital and long-term capital have different objectives and different perspectives and are managed uh, very differently. And it's such a good point. And that's the reason I really wanted to have you on is because when I tell people that I outsource my longer term investing, they get surprised, say, oh, you, you, know, you know, trading, you know, the market. Why would you possibly do that? Because I don't want to deal with that, nor do I have the skill set to deal with that. And Ross is, is very, very uh, just aware of the, my family dynamic, exactly what we're looking for. He knows my wife really well. And so that's what I look to him for this longer term investing. And two, right now, I mean, is the market frothy? The market's higher for sure. But I'm not going to call him and say, let's get out. Let's get out. And if I do, he's going to tell me what he always tells me. We have a plan. Let's, let's stick to the plan. And so if I want to take advantage of a shorter term movement because I feel the market is you know, frothy and I think it's going to go lower, 
I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of that in my own trading account. I'm not going to mess around with the investing. So it's two totally different businesses. And I also think it's really important to have you on because everyone's a guru. Everyone, everyone teaches trading. There's no barrier for entry. Anybody can make a YouTube video, but there's a lot of people out there teaching trading who are stockbrokers or financial advisors when, you know, their wheelhouse is longer term investing. Let's, let's separate the two because it's so easy to get confused and, and have one account and think everything is trading or everything's in, investing, depending on what you feel like that day. Yeah, those, I mean, you're right. When you talk about the market, is it frothy? Sure, by all measures of long-term historical perspectives, we're at the top range of the price-to-earnings ratio and all of those things. The way I comfort my clients is we're constantly rebalancing. So constantly, meaning it may sound frequent, but it's more like two times a year. We're looking at what is our stock-to-bond ratio, what is our large-to-small-cap ratio, and being disciplined that when we're overweight equities compared to our long-term plan, we're selling those and we're reallocating to the rest of the portfolio. Same thing happens when we're at a low. So 2008, 2009, it's like no one wants to buy because prices are going lower, but that's exactly the time that you're supposed to buy. It's, it's like vegetables on your plate when you were a kid. You didn't want to eat vegetables, but they're there to make sure you're healthy for the long term. And you know that constant rebalancing and monitoring the plan is uh, vitally important to the long-term health uh, of our clients. And then broadening the planning. So not just investment planning, but what else is going on in someone's life? Let's take a look at their risk management and their insurance portfolio. Let's make sure that they're not paying any more tax than they need to. Can they take advantage of tax advantage vehicles like IRAs and Roth IRAs to lower their tax burden now and possibly into the future? Those are all pieces that uh, can mean a great deal. You know, just saving one and a half percent in tax efficiency on your portfolio a year can double it over a 20 year period. So you start with $500,000, think about 1.5%, that's $7,500. Just imagine you save that in some sort of tax advantage uh, vehicle or some tax savings. Over a 20-year period returning 7% per year, that can mean an extra $500,000 added to that portfolio. So it's really important to make sure we're taking a very broad 30,000-foot view perspective someone's financial situation because the investments aren't their only piece of their puzzle. That's a, that's a good point, putting everything together. Um, dude, I know you're super busy. I don't even know if you're taking on clients, but is, would it be okay if we left your information on the podcast page? So if, if anybody has any questions, if they could reach out to you. I hope we won't, we won't pummel you, but I know people are sitting, sitting out there listening to this and, and, and could definitely use their help on kind of a longer term planning. Yeah, absolutely. Look, any, any client of yours, I'd be honored to have them as a client of mine. Uh, I, I appreciate that. You know, we're, we're always trying to grow our spheres of uh, clients and making sure that uh, the people we help get the best advice possible. Well, that's that's awesome. So I've been uh, a client of Ross's for seven, eight years, and 
no turning back. I feel, I feel great. I feel very comfortable. And again, it's not necessarily talking about every, the market every week or even every month, just checking in and making sure that the planning is correct. So for that, I, I thank you. It's been very comfortable for me. Why don't that kind of last question? Um, and if you guys go to the podcast page, guys, it'll be on activedaytrader.com forward slash trading school. This is going to be podcast eight. And I'll leave Ross's contact information in the uh, podcast description. But maybe, you know, going forward, what do you, what do you think of the market right now? And, and if, if you can or if you want to touch on it, I'd love to hear just kind of the buzz that, that you're hearing or feel about cryptocurrencies as well. Yeah, <laughs> great. Um, I, wish my, I wish my crystal ball was a little shinier yeah. right now. Um, but I think we're seeing a lot of value in international markets and developed markets, much more value than United States markets. Uh, the domestic market in general has much higher valuations than overseas. Uh, people would be shocked to know that the dividend yield of European stocks is almost double what it is of the United States. Wow. 4% average yield versus 2% over here. So we're looking to make sure we have almost as much international exposure and emerging market exposure as we do domestic exposure now. And bonds are a scary place. I mean, whoever thought bonds would be scary, but we're sitting at 30-year lows in yields. And I don't know if they're going up or down. I can't tell you. It's like the difference between being a meteorologist and a climatologist. We're, I'm a climatologist in investments, not a meteorologist. I can't tell you what's going to happen now, but I can tell you looking forward 20 years that I would be shocked if interest rates were lower than they are right now. So you have to be careful in terms of where you're investing in the fixed income world, uh, just as careful as you are where you invest in the uh, equity side of the puzzle. Cryptocurrencies are interesting. I, I wish I knew more about them. Uh, I do get calls occasionally about Bitcoin. What's the difference between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum and Litecoin? And they haven't jumped up as an asset class in my portfolios yet. Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe I'm not as knowledgeable as I should be on cryptocurrencies. I'm just... It's hard to value them because they have no dividends. They have no history of price volatility. So I have a hard time getting my arms around what the value should be at this point. That's, that's a good point, right? Until it's legitimate, legitimatized and becomes a, a real asset class, when people are looking at long-term investing portfolios, it's not even an asset class yet. It's still... High risk, high reward. You can lose principal. You can make a thousand plus percent. So that makes sense why you know it's, it's not really on the radar like it is for the traders who always see these things. You know they're so volatile moving all around. So hey, thank you so much for for coming. It was really uh, I, I, I tell Ross we get to do this on the computer and uh, great guy he just showed up at my house. So I'm excited that we got to hang out and, and do this face to face and. Let's, uh, let's go grab some breakfast now. And, and, you know, thanks a lot for coming and hanging out. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me and I appreciate uh, being on your podcast. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to the Trading School Podcast with Jonathan Rose. Be sure to stop by activedaytrader.com slash tradingschool and check out today's free resources.